Hi, this is Scott Hertzberg, President-Elect of the California State Rural Health Association. In support of National Rural Health Day 2021, the CSRHA has curated together insightful episodes from the This is Rural Health podcast. Now, what is National Rural Health Day? Well, since 2011, the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health, the 50 state offices of rural health, and rural health stakeholders from across the country have set aside the third Thursday of November to celebrate National Rural Health Day. This day promotes the power of rural, which brings much-needed attention to the ongoing efforts to communicate, educate, collaborate, and innovate to improve the health of an estimated 57 million rural Americans. Over the years, National Rural Health Day has transformed from a day-long event to a sustainable movement. To learn more, visit powerofrural.org. To learn more about the CSRHA, you can visit our website at csrha.org. Thank you, and enjoy this special series celebrating National Rural Health Day on November 18th. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Welcome to This is Rural Health. My name is Scott Hertzberg, and I'll be your host today along with CSRHA President Heather Hawkins. Today, for our first episode, we are joined by Dr. Raul Ayala of Adventist Health Central Valley. Dr. Ayala is the 2020 winner of the Community Star Award from the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health and serves as the medical director for over 50 ambulatory clinics in Central California. Heather, I got to say, this was a fantastic interview. I was really impressed with the work that Dr. Ayala has done, especially in this last year. Oh, I was 100% inspired by his work establishing virtual health care during the pandemic and homeless populations. Really impressed and really inspired by his work. Yeah, so I think you all are really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Season 1, Episode 1, This is Rural Health with Dr. Raul Ayala. We are here with Dr. Raul Ayala with Adventist Health. And Heather, you and Dr. Ayala actually work with each other a bit with your ties with Adventist Health. And Heather, you were the one who nominated Dr. Ayala for his 2020 Community Star Award. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll back up to where Heather sent, you know, there's this there's this nomination. I th- I want to nominate you. What do you think? And I was like, if you think that I, what I'm doing is is worthy of the recognition, then go for it. And she said, well, let's put something together and and we'll send it out. And then I just, you know, left it at that. And then I got the email saying, you've been selected. I was like, oh, my God, this is not this is this is something else. Uh, <laughs> I, I at first didn't know the magnitude. Right. I didn't because this is kind of like I, I don't normally get awards or, you know, things like that. I mean, they've been at the local level or whatever, but this is like, now you're talking about California and national. And so it was humbling, honorable, you know, just recognizing the work that we're doing in rural health. Well, I have to say well-deserved. Thank you. So I was thinking with the year we had in 2020, 
you know, I work in healthcare. I'm definitely not a healthcare provider, right? So I can't imagine how kind of life changed pretty rapidly for you a year ago mm-hmm. when we're seeing this happen. But it's got to feel like you're getting validation for all the hard work you've done and and some of the initiatives you put into place. Yeah, and I think you know, come to think about you know the the they just recognized the year of the first COVID case, you know, not too long ago. And actually the president was on, you know, in memory of that. And I remember coming, I I was on a plane from Boston in March and, you know, it was right around the time and we we were still, you know, kind of going through it. We were in class, everybody was together. Some people were wearing masks, some people weren't. They were talking about COVID in New York and then we're in the East Coast. And as soon as I got back, so my flight was on Monday. And as soon as I got to California, the next day, it was declared a national pandemic and flights were canceled. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, this this is like in the nick of time I got back. And sure enough, right from when I got back, okay, what are we doing with the clinics? Are we opening? Are we staying? Infection prevent? I mean, everything went into play. And I don't think we've slowed down since then. I think it's just been one thing. And now we're into vaccines. But I think at that time, it was more of what do we got to do? What is it going to take? And then it takes everybody. I mean, it's pretty much what happened. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, we kind of saw this all hands in to make something work. It's it's really funny to think, I don't know, funny is probably not the right word, but just to, you know, all my Facebook memories right now are popping up from one year ago today. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to work from home the next two weeks. <laughs> Yeah. You know, here's here's this new thing we're going to try out. Let's see if it works. And, uh, you know, I've just been really impressed with the work. You know, I'm a, I'm a patient of Adventist Health, where you are, and, and I've been really impressed at the ability to pivot to telehealth. And, you know, my kids got the sniffles over the summer, and it was really fantastic to be able to have an appointment without having to go in and, you know, that's one of the things that we've been talking about with the CSRHA and, and with our higher up organization, the NRHA, about, you know, really hoping that some of these telehealth changes get to stick around, you know, but that doesn't always work for everybody, right? I, it's convenient for me because I have the computer and the broadband, but, you know, you've been doing work with folks who don't necessarily have that. Right around March when everything started happening, it was, you know, can we do telemedicine? Can we do telehealth? We we had dabbled in it as an organization. I had learned about it, you know, about telemedicine. I had done telemedicine, but not, not at that level, right? So now we've got 50 ambulatory clinics. We've got primary care. We've got specialty care. We had dental. And that was at the time that, you know, the restrictions and the, the all the guidelines and, you know, policies that were in place, whether national or state on telemedicine, they pretty much went out the door, which was something that served as a catalyst to get us to, you know, start doing virtual care. And virtual care was really not your traditional video and FaceTime. And at that time, they just, I mean, the restrictions were off. So if you wanted to use FaceTime, you could use FaceTime. If you wanted to use you know, all the, the restrictions were with HIPAA were not as, and really, quite frankly, when you're going through a pandemic, I don't think there's going to be rules or laws that are going to be, you know, so restrict and stringent on you to do certain things. But there was 
there was parameters that we needed to follow. And so the next thing was, you know, how do we just communicate with people and how do we stay connected with community, with our patients, right? Because they were wondering, hey, I just, I just got a call that I had an appointment, but they're saying on TV to stay home. What does this mean? And so I think that we were able to pivot quickly into just communicating, whether that's via phone, via computer, via FaceTime, via anything that you had to communicate with one another, we took it. Luckily, and I think we've we've worked with having the electronic health record because then you also had people's you know records and their medications and et cetera. So that was still functioning. You could still send medications, you could still, whatever it was. So let me tell you that during that time when we were transitioning and we had to transition quick because not only did we not have cameras, right? Because you would have thought all computers have cameras. Right, well, right. guess not. They, they don't. They, they don't. And, and the connectivity. So that was the other thing that broadband and 5G and all that, we had no idea of what, what does it mean to have thousands of computers running at the same time via the lines that we have, just that alone. Now, granted, not everybody had a computer and not everybody has a smartphone and not everybody has a phone to begin with, right? So that's the other thing that we have learned of just basic disparity. You would think that, oh, just when they say, oh, just get on the computer and log on. Well, it's not that simple for it. It's not a blanket that says, just do it. It's, it doesn't work that way, right? And at the same time, right. you know, you're still trying to stay connected. And I think that's where a lot of this took us, where there was no more cameras. There was no more laptops. They, we were buying everything that you can think of, and it's all back order. The, the important thing that I want to emphasize is that our clinics never closed. We never closed the doors on our clinics and our services. They were modified. But we still had, if a patient needed to come into the clinic, we would still see them and we would do curbside. So now we started modifying our practice that traditionally was not, we did not have the infection prevention, the making sure we were socially distanced, the, you know, washing the hands, the gloves, the masks, the shields, all that came into play. So that's how we needed to pivot really quickly where you needed to just do what you needed to do to be preventative but also that you were there for the patients. You know, doctor, that's amazing. And I just read a stat that um, I think it's 27% of the homeless in our nation live in California. So pivoting to homeless, what does that look like? What was your work around that and virtual? So one thing that I want to mention about community is there are so many gifted and blessed people in our community, but we don't know about them. We don't know about them because they are so focused on what they're doing. And there's a, a really a, a really incredible lady, her name's Delfina, who's doing this fantastic work with the homeless people, even to begin with, like way back. So two years ago, she came to the clinic and she said, hey, you know, I have this project with the homeless and they need medical care. And I know you guys have dentists and you have therapists for behavioral health. Can you help them? So we started a transitioning of patients, but just by knowledge of that our clinics are there and our services. So when this thing happened, she reached out to me and she said, Dr. Ayala, we are now with 
state and federal government, there, there's this there's this opportunity for a grant that we have received to take care of homeless. And we have now taken over hotels and they're in our communities and the hotel owners, they're smaller hotels. They're not like your big chain. They said that they're willing to, because people don't have homes right now, that they're willing to send their patients there. And we had already thought about what happens to families that need to be quarantined that need a hotel. So I talked to her a little bit about that. And I said, you know what? Why don't we do this, Delfina? Right now, there's no restriction or there's less restriction, I should say, on telemedicine. What if we were to establish those homeless people with me as the doctor and we, the clinic, become a virtual clinic for you? You can come in if you want. You can get prescriptions. You can, we'll send everything. And so what she did was she bought and we had to go to her place where the hotels are. And in one of the offices, they made it into like a clinic. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So if the patient wanted to go in there and they had an ailment or they had COVID, then they just made an appointment to the clinic and then we would virtually beam in. And then we could send prescriptions. We could talk to them. I talked to patients in the hotel and then we got creative because once they were established, then there were my patients, but then there were the clinic patients and then they needed specialty. And then they found out about dental and they found out about other services. So we could technically care for them and then send their orders to the hospital to get x-rays, labs, to get all of that. And or we could curry through some of the pharmacies that were taking medications to the homes. So they would take them to the hotels. And guess what? Now they're in our clinics. Now they come to the clinic because they don't do virtual anymore. But they can though. So the virtual thing has never gone away. Only they now became part of our patient and now they have a medical home. That's how that kind of transitioned into that is so incredible. I mean, so you are already looking out for this population that is often overlooked and then <laughs> huge crisis comes and you just say, yeah, we'll just kick it into overdrive. <laughs> you know, that's fantastic. Let me tell you about how that relationship with that community nonprofit is why it's important. So there was patients that we had existing that when all of this hit, they were either elderly at home or they had some type of, of disability. But Delfina, on the other hand, has and her team and her nonprofit had partnered with like a Meals and Wheels or like people that would just give food, like food drives. And so they were now part of this whole group where if we needed some food for somebody, then we would connect them to them. And then they would send food to them. They had nothing to do with being homeless. They just happened to be in the same like giving of food that we connected the existing patients to them. And then they connected them to other people like financial assistance, rent, light bills. And I was like, how does this, that's the power of community. Absolutely. They are working in something that they're very good at but they don't know the other one exists and they don't connect. I think what the pandemic has done with the disparities, it's connected people. Yeah, it's it's really inspiring. And, you know, it's good that we have folks like you who are actively looking for ways that you can help your community out, you know, not just taking care of the patients who are coming in, but actually doing that outreach and connecting with people and then leveraging those connections 
to take care of your population. You know, one of the things we talk about is your zip code should not, you know, determine your level of health, right? And so this is just that example absolutely in place. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, before we started recording, you talked a a little bit about your residency program that you're looking to put in place. You know, one of the things that we suffer from in rural areas is attracting providers to work in rural health. You know, they get very easily pulled to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, like the big cities. And it's this incredible work that I've heard that you're doing to help establish a pipeline for rural providers. Yeah, and I think the levels of engagement have to start at an early age and early programs. And there are organizations that are helping students from high school, college, to have you know an awareness and have experiences in medical care, nursing, dental, veterinarians. There's there's all kinds of groups working on that, and part of that is that there's there's a creation of a pipeline with graduate medical education. So in this case, with medical residents. So there there was an existing family medicine residency program that we've now expanded in Hanford. We we established and we're receiving. Well, actually, next week we'll get our first batch of new residents in Tulare, another family medicine residency program. So that's our second one. However, the third one is a unique situation where Hanford or the Central Valley Network for Adventist Health is the sponsoring institution for a rural track program that will have four residents, but with an emphasis on rural medicine, as well as behavioral and substance use disorder curriculum, which is very important into the future and kind of where we're, where we're headed, this rural track is, there's not that many in the country to begin with. And the reason that that came up was because we had a, what we call a, a medical provider relations committee. And we knew that the ratios of physicians to the population is low, pretty much anywhere rural, if you just put it that way. And we needed to make sure that, you know, we were being, more uh, focused and directed towards people having good experiences. And in this case, the medical residents to have a good experience within rural medicine, because if you don't, if you're not aware of the environment and the different intricacies and backgrounds of the, of the population and the community, then you're really not gonna go after or search for a rural community. And, and the statistics are there. You could, you could do them however you want to do them. But it does show that you're more than likely to stay where you did your residency program. And I don't know the, the, the exact percentage, but I know you are. So, for instance, institutions, big universities are around urban areas. So that's where more than likely those residents are going to graduate and they're going to stay in urban, suburban areas. Now, if you have a residency program in rural medicine then you're going to attract, number one, a different type of resident because they already have an interest in what does rural medicine mean? Or like myself, I grew up in South Texas, a town of 17,000 people. There was one family doc. He did everything. He delivered. He saw my grandma. I mean, he was everything. And everybody knew him in town, right? Like that, that was like the thing. There was just one, one or two. And so rural communities 
are unique in that way. But it is going to attract physicians that they're, they're going to envision themselves in that environment just like I did. And that's why I ended up working in a rural clinic because I didn't want to have a, a, a different type of practice. And so the goal of this program is to enrich the resident with experiences where more than likely they already had an interest. But how do I pave the road for more physicians to stay in rural areas? And by, by, by effect, the goal is that you'll have better health in that community. And that's sort of the thought process behind that. So they will be, they will be in Hanford, which is, which is the sponsoring for their first year. They will do block schedules and they, they will be with the other residents to learn everything that they need to. And the second and third year, when they've done their one year of internship, is they will go to the rural environment in Sonora. And uh, I, I was there yesterday. I met with their chief medical officer and their president. And they were talking to me about clinics that are like in the mountains, like there's family doctors in the mountains. Absolutely. And I said, how fantastic and cool is that to have an experience and a learning environment where you may envision yourself for many, many years and decades? Yeah, I have to say the the clinic in Arnold is one of my favorites, and it's about five minutes from the lake I spend the summers in. So, oh, there you go. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah, it's it's in the mountains. And, you know, they get snow. They not necessarily have the roads plowed. Uh, so it's good to have someone there in t- on hand so they don't have to drive an hour to get the help that they need. So I'm thrilled that you are getting this program established and pushing more physicians into rural. And, you know, it, it does take organizations. Again, now I, now I speak of organizations that they they are vested in their mission, right? So the, the mission for Adventist Health is living God's love by inspiring hope, health, and wholeness, right? But it's not just that. It's, it's actually you actually doing what you're saying. It's in your mission. Because who is going to invest in these types of outings, right? It just doesn't happen that way. And you have to have leadership that says, you know what? That is the right thing to do. And that's when you know that that's incremental, right? Because you won't see anything for years. But decades from now, you may say, wow, look at how it started. And now we have this thing that's blossomed. Yeah. In- investing in your community. You know, Dr. Ayala, something that's impressive is you're not just talking about, you know, you said community and homeless. We need to be in touch with the community. But then with the provider shortage, we're talking about really embracing our sector partnerships, right? So it's, it's embracing our mission through our partnerships and community is what you're demonstrating, which is very robust. It's a good lesson for all of us, actually. We're all connected. And I think that's one of the things that this last year has shown, as you said, that we all need to lean on each other a little bit. And we're, even if we can't physically lean on each other, we need to all kind of be there for each other. We're all in this together. And and really our success is everybody's success. So I wanted to ask you this kind of one last question. As a healthcare leader, what are you looking forward to in 2021? So 21 is a lot of getting back to business, right? We've learned a lot in 20. We're still learning. But you're, you're also starting to see that the infection rate is going down. We're getting more vaccines into arms. 
But one thing that is really important is that disease has not slowed down. And I kind of wanted to stop there for a minute because there are disease processes that will not yield to the pandemic. Heart disease is not going to stop. Diabetes is not going to stop. Screenings for breast cancer are not going to stop. Time is moving and people are aging. And so what I mean by back to business, I'm not saying we're done with COVID. We're still there. We're still going to fight. But what I'm saying is you have to get back and say, all right, what are we missing here? Because the disease has got no time. It's not on your time, on, on your timeline. And so what I mean by back to business is at least for our organization is what I'm, what I envision is us saying, I understand. And we now have to understand that we may live with COVID, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to go get your breast cancer screening, colon cancer screening. Doesn't mean that we're not going to talk to you about your disease management with diabetes. That doesn't mean that, that this just means that we're going to do it differently. And the other thing that I think 21 is going to do and what 20 has shown us is you have to have alignment in what you're wanting to do in terms of your strategy, your vision, your drive. It's got to be aligned to where you forget about the things that don't matter. You need to prioritize what needs to have priority. And what I mean by that is a lot of the things that we thought were important prior to the pandemic, we don't think they're quite as important anymore. I'd say it from personal, but I don't think we're looking at things the same ever again. And, and that goes, for, I'm starting with myself. And what I mean by that I is- I completely agree with you. <laughs> there, there's some things that you're just going to say, why was I even doing that? Or why was I even worried about that? So I think the future is more of alignment and in terms of healthcare, we need to be more holistic. We need to be more patient-centric, comprehensive, because Heather has heard me before, but I've said, it's, there's got to be mental, there's got to be medical, and there's got to be dental, right? So, so medical, behavioral, dental, that is what I see in the next, the next year. But I see that being like the model of care because the medical home needs to be comprehensive to be able to meet the needs of the people in that community. And that means that not only does that medical home need to be comprehensive, it also needs to not be in a silo and it needs to be connected to the community through your nonprofits, your county health your state and local and federal governments, it all needs to be connected because guess what? One thing that we've learned is we were all in silos and, and the testing, the vaccines, Hey, who's doing this? No, now with the vaccines, you're like, Oh, so-and-so is doing it. Or really we'll call them or let me send an email. Oh yeah, I met them. But if we don't do that and, and we kind of think, Oh, we just go back to we're lost. We've lost it. We've lost what we've learned. So there needs to be alignment, there needs to be priority, and that focus needs to be on what is the future going to be like and not what we were doing in the past. Well, I am absolutely thrilled that we got to spend this time with you and have you as our first guest for season one, what episode one of our podcast. I know, this is, we're setting the bar really, really high. You had a, a quote in the National Rural Health Day 
book that came out with all the 2020 community stars and says, you're going to need everyone in the community to come together to be successful. And I think the, the last half hour we've spent with you, you have absolutely reaffirmed that is the case. So Dr. Ayala, Heather, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. And uh, I look forward to talking with you both again. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrha.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRHA Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.